Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that is so bad, even the Russian judge wouldn't take a bribe to listen to it. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes cold, I mean sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining pipe-smoking broadcast. I am your host, Brian Levine, and it is a cool Thursday night here in my office just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. I hope you're all doing well in tonight's show. We're going to talk about uh, pipes and pipes and uh, maybe some more pipe stuff. Uh, in particular, in pipe parts, going to switch over to an Italian brand. Talk a little bit about Caminetto and the history behind that brand. My guest tonight, pipe maker Nate King. Nate's a, uh, another one of the young, relatively new pipe makers. Three, four years on the scene, so it'll be fun to talk to him. Music mailbag rant all that coming up in tonight's episode of the pipes magazine radio show and i'll tell you the only thing that's keeping me happy on these uh, cold days is uh well a little thing to drink at night and uh, i'm really enjoying the olympics uh however i still don't really understand ice skating olympic ice skating to me, it's I can't tell the difference between a sow cow, a triple toe loop, and all that stuff. It looks great when they're skating around. I do kind of like it. You know, I get geeky about the Olympics, but I really don't get into the ice skating. I guess uh, the closest I could compare it is, uh, you know, I guess people that aren't pipe smokers, they look at pipe smoking as, hey, you just put tobacco on a pipe and you puff on it. We all know it's not that easy, but uh, ice skating from the outside looks like it should be easy. I just don't understand all the terminology. Um, I did enjoy spending a lot of time over the past weekend watching the Olympics, watching some of the more uh, obscure sports, that new slope side or uh, snowboarding that they've got. Wow, is that crazy and fun to watch. Uh, Curling's also on. Been catching some of that during the day on the computer, so... All right, everybody, let's get this show going. Sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you to the fine folks at Sutliff Tobacco Company. Here we go. I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical, a tobacco that I can fall in love with. I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions only to get burned. When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliffTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just love it. Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented Perfect Match system. Try it at SutliffTobacco.com. Go to SutliffTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend. We 
are back, and in just a minute, Nate King will be on the phone with me. But in the meantime, I wanted to go back to Italy for a little uh, pipe parts segment. And in the past, we've had representatives from Savinelli and Costello, the two grandfather brands from Italy, wanted to talk about the Caminetto brand because Caminetto finds its roots in the Costello Pipe Factory where two pipe makers, Luigi Radice and Ascorti, Giuseppe Ascorti, are working for Carlo Scotti in the late 1950s into the 1960s. Now, these two guys rise in prominence in the Costello factory, become part of a, a, a very important core of pipe makers working under Carlo Scotti in the 60s, and they were essentially going to be the two that were going to kind of lead the Costello brand on, and it wasn't until about the 1960s, late 1960s, when you start to see them get a little unhappy, get a little unsatisfied with the work that they're doing at Costello. Yeah, they wanted to go out and they wanted to try some different stuff, but Costello was definitely Carlo Scotti's brand, and Carlo Scotti developed techniques and shapes that are very well known still today, but these guys wanted a little bit more. So in 1968, we see Giuseppe Ascorti, known as Peppino. He decides to leave Costello, and he uh, persuades his neighbor, Luigi Radice, another pipe maker, to leave with him. The two of them start making pipes on their own, and they made some pipes for a local pipe dealer in Milan, whose last name was Davoli, Gianni Davoli. And here's where it comes together. These three men sitting around and talking and working on this idea. And they were known as, and I can't pronounce it in, uh, in Italian, but the Three Caminis, or the Three Chimneys. The name Caminetto means a small chimney. So these three guys would get together at night and puff on their pipes and talk about the day's events and chat now you have two pipe makers and you have a businessman involved and that's where the birth of the Caminetto brand comes from. The Caminetto brand started out in the classic Italian style. There was some friction early on between the Caminetto brand and Costello for taking some of their shapes, taking some of their styles, but you start to see Caminetto in the... Uh, early 70s really start to adapt their own way of doing things. One of the things that they all did because of the size of their mustaches, their long pronounced wide mustaches, was their stem logo was a mustache. Uh, the earlier Caminetto pieces are signified by a very thin wide mustache on the stem. The older Caminetto pieces after the eventual breakup of these three guys, you'll see a thicker, more of an inlay, more of a white Caminetto mustache. Uh, so what happens is the brand gets very popular and 
Davoli through his contacts in the United States and Germany starts getting distribution going and they rapidly see an increase from zero pipes in 1968 to making five, six, seven thousand pipes by the time you get into 1972-73 and they're getting distribution. This caused some friction because now again you have Radice and Escorti who wanted to leave a factory kind of an idea and go off and be artists and make pipes and make unique pipes and make different styles. But because of the popularity of the brand, these the demands became to where it was more of a factory style. And they became less artists to them and felt more like a factory production. Uh, one of the other things that caused a little bit of friction, and I'm not privy to the exact details, but the Mr. Davoli may have put himself at the front of the brand and may have put some pressures on the two artists. Long story short, this grouping breaks up. Neither Escorti nor Radice are able to buy out their third partner, so he ends up with the brand. We all know that Giuseppe Escorti goes off to make Escorti pipes. Luigi Radice goes off to form Radice pipes. Both brands still flourishing. Uh, Mr. Davoli left with an empty factory and a few unskilled workers. Has to shut down the Caminetto factory, and uh, surprisingly, there was a fire shortly after the factory had shut down and it burned to the ground. Anyway, that's the beginning of Caminetto and how we get to the birth of the Escorti and Radice brands. And sometime soon we'll go on to the forward of it. Maybe we can get one of the guys on the show to talk about it. So there you go. In just a few minutes, Nate King. This is Internet Radio. Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Please welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show, uh, probably the fastest pipe maker I've ever met. Well, actually, let us I take that back. You may not be fast yourself, but at one point in your life, you were worried about making things go fast. Now you're worried about making pipes. So please welcome Nate King. Hello, everyone. Nate, tell everybody, where did you grow up? Uh, I actually grew up in a van traveling uh, since I was eight years old, traveling with the uh, IndyCar series. Uh, way back when, when it was the, the first original series was Cart. And then uh, they split, and now it's all back and happy again, and everybody's back under the IndyCar series. So you were actually traveling around and following following the cars wherever they went? 
yeah, my parents, my actually my whole family was involved in racing. Um, my brothers both mechanics on uh, some pretty prominent teams, uh, uh, Forsyth and, and Penske and all. And uh, my dad uh, organized a mechanics association, not-for-profit organization, um, to bring recognition to the, uh, the guys who actually work on the cars. So I traveled around with my, my uh, mom and dad and uh, went to all the races, uh, basically in the whole uh, series. So were you based out of a, I mean, were you mobile based or did you actually have a house where you went to school and, yeah, and played, uh, I was, played I was football? homeschooled. Um, so I was, we were mobile based. I mean, we traveled 300 plus days a year. Um, I did that till, <laughs> till a couple years ago, but, uh, traveled, uh, all the time and, um, you got to see the country. We did have a we, one pardon? rest. You got to see the country one rest stop at a time. Oh yes, oh yes. Well, I don't know. if Dad wasn't always uh, keen on stopping for rest stops, so. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, we. I got to see. Well, by the time I was ten, I'd been to like thirty-eight states, three Canadian provinces, um, traveled all over. Wow. So it was it was a need of education, you know, being a kid growing up, just traveling traveling the nation. And then you yourself got into racing as well. Yeah, yeah. I actually finished school when I was uh, uh, about uh, like early seventeen, and uh, graduated and uh, moved out, and moved in with my sister for a little bit, and then uh, got on with a uh, uh, gear, gearbox uh, contractor. And worked with him for a little while, and it didn't work out very well. So it was only about six months, and then I ended up going to another company, who actually manufactured the gearboxes and uh, and serviced them as well. And I was one of the mechanics who was contracted to each team, uh, who wanted who didn't want to actually like hire their own gearbox guy. Um, so they would contract us to support them. Now, for those of us that may not be um, automotive racing inclined, uh, the gearbox is the what we would normally call the transmission or the shifter. Transmission, yeah, yeah, okay. it's all very similar. <laughs> it's all it's you know like Kleenex and tissue. It's all the same thing. Do those cars have the, clutches on them? Yes, um, depending you know it depends on on what series you look at, but Indy cars will have yeah will have a clutch. Um, and now they've gone to, and actually went just, just after, or sorry, just before I left, uh, the series, um, they had gone to paddle shifting, which you, once you leave the, once you leave the pit box, you don't need the clutch. You just pull the, you just pull the paddle up or down and you keep your foot on the throttle. It, the car does the rest. And away you go. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So, and these cars that you were working on, these are the ones that we actually saw out in out on the super speedways and doing their thing at yeah, a couple hundred yeah, miles all, an hour. Yep, all over the world. Um, yeah, and the no, no, most notable is the Indy 500. But uh, yeah, they travel. We travel all over Japan, Australia, uh, Mexico, Canada. <laughs> and I know from talking to you, you've been in my neighborhood here in uh, Cabarrus County, North Carolina, a couple of times too. Yeah. I have, yeah. I was involved in uh, in helping uh, develop and maintain a uh, NASCAR uh, transmission that uh, the company I worked for, Emco Gears, um, uh, had, had designed, and uh, we, you know, had to troubleshoot it and all that. So I, I messed around with the uh, 
the teams and help them to understand the gearbox and also, you know, build it, maintain it, you know, just help them with it, whatever they needed. And hope they don't blame you when it breaks. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That so, happens a lot. So you've got to, <laughs> you got to know what you're doing. So did you actually have to learn how to machine parts specifically for the box? Uh, we, we did a little bit of machine work. Um, not like they, they come with all the parts you need, they need to be gone through and you know, you don't, you don't get a brand new gearbox, put oil in it and start racing. You have to tear the thing down to the case and start over. Um, because they'd have, they'd have like machine flashing and, and even, even, uh, shavings and things in the bearings when you get the gearbox. So you'd have to take it down completely apart, rebuild it. And we would actually, um, build, using our own spec bearings and things and things like that because they don't always supply you with the top-notch equipment so you have to go through and it's as a gearbox guy it's your job to make sure that thing will will withstand anything i mean they're they're technically trying to explode the entire time they're running so you have to manage the explosion So while you're working on these exploding gearboxes, uh, how much does one of these cost? Uh, depending on the uh, development and series and things like that, um, like the IRL kept the cost down. Um, the gearboxes were only about 35000 um, <laughs> Camp Car and some of the other series um, had a much more complex gearbox. Uh, it's a, uh, there's... The IndyCar series had a originally had a longitudinal gearbox, meaning all the gears are in line with the car. Um, the Champ Car cars and other kart cars and, and other series all have a transverse gearbox where the gear the gear stack and everything is across the car instead of in line with the car, and they're a lot more complicated to run. Um, those those gearboxes were about one hundred ten thousand, one hundred fifteen thousand. Just for the for, just transmission for the thingy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I was uh, a couple of teams I was with, I had I was in charge of about a million and a half in inventory, and I had six gearboxes themselves that were worth one hundred and fifteen thousand for the transmission thingy. Yeah, just for the transmission thingy. Yep. So when I go out and buy a brand new car, if I had the money right now for $25,000, I'm getting a hell of a deal because I get the transmission and all the other stuff around it. <laughs> and too. the rest of it and everything else to make it go, yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. So that's, how... And that's that's nothing compared to Formula One. 2004, um, I talked to some of the, some of the team uh, members with uh, Ferrari and their gearbox and they had, you know, they're they're still they're really secretive about what they do. Um, they I've heard that they had carbon cases, that you know, all the different rumors. But I do know for a fact that just their gearbox was a million dollars for a Formula <laughs> One car. <clears throat> Excuse me, I choked on something. <laughs> yes, that's that'll make you choke. That's that's cubic dollars there. Was it painted red and had the little horsey thing on it, or? Uh... I yeah I don't it was made I think it was made of unobtainium I don't know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was had a, wow 
Okay. Yeah. So makes pipes look cheap. Um. <laughs> yeah, certainly some of them do. Yep. So how does one go from um, uh, making hundred thousand dollar gearbox thingies and working on those to making pipes? Well, I had actually uh, was kind of moving away from traveling as much. I was getting tired of it, um, and I had uh, uh, gotten a, gotten a job with an aircraft maintenance uh, uh, organization uh, here at uh, at a local airport, and uh, started working on on planes. Well, they're, and, they're uh, much just, cheaper. They don't have a transmission. Yeah, well, some of them do. Oh, now you got me. Some on. of the, some of the some of the turbines have have gear cases, but uh, the turboprops because they got to slow down the they got to slow down the turbine before it gets to the propeller. So they do have gearboxes on those too on some of them. Does... Not 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 nearly as common though. Okay. <laughs> and you, you don't you, you there's no clutch or anything on those. You don't have to worry about slipping the clutch or anything. <laughs> Pop the clutch, you stall in midair. We. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Okay. You can't miss a gear either, so that's nice. Yeah. Okay, so now you're back. You're you're working out of the. You're working and you and you found a place to live and you're staying in one spot. Yes. Yep. Um, just before then, I'd still been racing a little bit, but uh, had a, a friend of mine move from uh, move from California back to Indianapolis for where his family was, and uh, we were we'd hang out all the time, and you know we he'd introduce me to cooking and lots of other things. Um, and uh, we ended up hitting a uh, tobacco shop near me, and uh, he had he had a pipe. He let me uh, he actually had a couple of pipes. He let me uh, try one of his, and uh, I always thought it was a gentlemanly thing, you know, very very um, honorable and you know, upstanding uh, to smoke a pipe. So I uh, started doing that, and you know, took <laughs> as it does. It takes a little getting used to. Um, Having never smoked anything in my life, um, it took a bit, bit of learning. Uh, went to the tobacco shop, and then I ended up having a uh, bachelor party for a buddy of mine from church, and uh, we all went back to my place. But before then, we took him took him to the uh, tobacco shop, and we all got uh, starter kits. Oh, cool! You know, the, the normal <laughs> the normal tobacco shop where you get a ounce of tobacco, a, a basket briar. And uh, you know a box of matches and a and a tobacco uh, tobacco uh, case. <laughs> yeah, and off you. We've all had them. You guys, and then you're all pipe smokers. Yeah. So how did the uh, how did the first couple of uh, first couple of smokes go for you? Uh, the, it was a, it was a bit of a learning experience. Uh, like I think, like I've seen from other people, a lot of coughing, a lot of <laughs> learning how to. Not inhale, or you know how to how to keep the thing lit, things like that. I'm still working on that too. <laughs> so then you, uh, so now you've you've tried it, you liked it, you got a you got yourself a starter pipe. Yeah. So then I uh, I researched, you know, I learned, you know, I started learning about pipes, and you know, because <laughs> as my friends will tell you, if I get into anything. Um, hobby wise, I'm, I don't just like dabble in it. I'm full into it. I, I'm, I looked it all up. I'm like, Oh, if Bing Crosby smokes this kind of pipe. I love that kind of pipe. And, 
you know, when I first started out, it was only long, thin Dublins, and I only liked that. I didn't like rusticated or sandblasted, or I didn't even know what the things were, you know, a bamboo, what? Uh, so I started researching that and looking, hitting antique shops, things like that, and then along comes eBay. And uh. I found just copious amounts of pipes on there, and would get lots. I'm like, oh, I like that pipe. And it would call, you know, there'd be like six other pipes with it. So I'm like, well, what do I do with these other ones? So I ended up starting a refurb uh, business, if you will. You know, I just did it as a hobby, but uh, started refurbing pipes. And uh, I had pipe by the end of about four years of doing that, I, I'd refurbed and sold uh, 1,200 pipes on, uh, on eBay and really gotten into it. And, and that helps in the few help me in the future for, you know, seeing what, what takes, you know, cause I saw the array from, you know, complete no name imported briar to, you know, real nice Dunhill or, you know, whatever high Ashton, whatever high end factory pipes. So I got to see what makes a pipe look good. What, what engineering, um, not that I understood it completely at the time, but I could see that, okay, well they do this differently. I wonder why, and you talk to other guys, and you figure it out. So I ended up doing that. Uh, found a couple other uh, uh, tobacco shops in the Indianapolis area, um, and one actually worked worked uh, at uh, for about a year and a half last uh, last couple of years, and uh, pipe puffer down in Greenwood, and uh, they had a pre-drilled block, you know, the the chunk of briar that's got a whole two holes in it and the stem sticking out of it. And uh, I'm like, well, that'd be fun. So I started messing around with that. At the time, I had met uh, on uh, a lot of the forums, namely the one at the time was ChristianPipesmokers.net. I uh, met another pipe maker in, uh, in, in Indiana, out in Cloverdale, Wayne Typen. I uh, had met him, and he's like, yeah, come on out, and we'll start working. I'll tell you what you need to know, and... So, and I actually ended up buying, bought a Stanwell Featherweight, the little Dublin pickaxe uh, pipe, and I bought that from him. He was, he had no use for it anymore, so I was happy to have to snag that off him, and uh, then got to see his shop, and we started working on pipes together, and uh, I got my first pipe done, and, you know, like everybody with their first pipe was quite proud, and now I look back, and the pipe is hidden away, long, long away. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna take a break right there. When we come back, we're gonna talk to you about your uh, evolution into shape styles, and uh, we gotta talk about steampunk. So stick with us. We'll be back in just a minute. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeershamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including calabash, claws, dragons, horror, even a sexy series. MeershamStore.com, the most trusted Meersham store for 50 years. The term one-stop shop is so overused. There's no place that is literally a one-stop shop. Well, guess what? When it comes to your quality tobacco products, there is. It's CupOJoes.com. With hundreds of pipe tobacco blends, thousands of pipes in stock, a wide variety of cigars, coffees, accessories, and so much more. All you have to do is go to CupOJoes.com, and there it is. 
CupoJoes.com. Quality products, extraordinary prices. This is Gregory Pease, and you're listening to the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. We are back. Nate is still hanging out with us. Uh, you got the pre-drilled kit. You've learned how to make pipes. You worked with Wayne. And yeah. uh, how many yeah. of your first pipes did you actually keep yourself? Uh, actually, the only one I kept was the first one. I had people right off the bat. My second pipe I sold, and I haven't stopped since. And Everything else been sold. And you've got some... Um, uh, on your website, which is Nate King Pipes, N A T E K I N G and Pipes, uh, I'm looking at the portfolio that you have up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you've got some interesting names for your shapes, and <laughs> I I know where yeah, the derivative I... is kind of of a Juan Cano, but describe the Juan Cano for everybody. <laughs> All right. Uh, that one, that's a recent one, actually. That, to me, was, uh, it was, didn't really, you know, it was one of those most guys would put under the freehand range. Um, it fit, you know, it, it looks like a volcano to me, but it's kind of a wonky volcano. So that's where the wonkano came from. <laughs> it's a little wonky. I used to, when I first started out, I used to, uh, uh, like, give specific names to each pipe. I, haven't gotten into the point where it's it's your business and you need to actually you know make money at it to live <laughs> I, I i've since stopped doing that but yeah early on i for like a year i actually named each pipe with its own specific name <laughs> now was that just the shape name or did you start naming them like kids no they were they were like specific to the pipe like uh one was Morrison because it was a duke like the original name of John Wayne was Morrison <laughs> um you know just you name it uh Rougette Noir uh red and black uh you know I had all kinds of names for things but that was to come up with something clever and and catchy and and uh, do that was <laughs> very time consuming do you, most of your pipes are traditional, what we're seeing, you know, cons, I would consider to be somewhat traditional American, mm-hmm. Danish style, handmade yeah. pipes. Do you prefer doing that versus doing classic shapes? Um, I, I like to draw from, from a number of, uh, number of genres, really. Um, I don't want to be pinned down to any one thing. Uh, I just... I look to make the best, obviously make the best pipe I can, but also to just optimize my shape. You know, I don't want to make a Grasic. I don't want to make someone else's pipe. I want it to be mine with my voice. Um, it's it's funny that a lot of the makers, uh, the older makers, don't really prefer Danish shapes or because, you know, it seems to them that everyone copies everything that they do. Um, but you have to look at, look at the dec- decades we've had with Danish shapes now, starting with, with uh, Everson's and, you know, just, you name it. Uh, the, uh, the guys that made for Stanwell as well, you know, would do shapes for Stanwell. It's been decades, you know? So to me, I'm not just copying a shape. I'm, it's a, to me, that's a traditional shape. It's not an English traditional shape. 
but it's a Danish traditional shape. You know, you look at a, an English billiard, an Italian billiard, and a and a Danish billiard. They're three, <laughs> the three look completely different for the most part. You know, especially in the bowl. But you know, they're all billiards. So I don't. I I try not to limit myself in in what and in what I make or you know I know oh, this is a billiard and this is not a billiard. You know, they're they're all they all have their place to me. Are you you buying your blocks of briar? Are you doing any special aging oil curing to them? Especially since you might have access to some really high friction oils and. <laughs> well, the the oils I would I would be able to to access would would not be food safe. So, <laughs> no, I, I don't do any of that. Um, I try and uh, when I get blocks in, um, I try and. Uh, let them let them age a little um, with a with the technology we have now with briar. It's not it's not like it was at the turn of the turn you know the 1900s. Um, they didn't have a lot of treatment for them, so the the issues that they had they had to figure out how to get around or manipulate so that they didn't have the issues. Whereas now, you know, like I get I get my briar from Mimo um, over in Italy and. That guy has got it so well handled that you can, you know, he'll he'll definitely tell you if he's got some stuff that's fairly fresh, fairly green, you know, you need to let this age. Um, but for the most part, whatever I get from him is is ready to go, and it's not, you know, it's top-notch stuff. Do you think the wood needs a little bit of, just a little bit of time to sit and, and acclimate to the climate oh, that it's in? Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, uh, I do. I try and do that myself. You know, I like to at least six months, you know, or a year if I can. The beautiful thing is, is most of the time, Memo's already aged it, you know, at least a year. I, I forget, he's, I was talking to him, but uh, what, his, what his average is. But, it's you know, he's already aged a lot of things usually. To where it doesn't, it has to acclimate to to you know Indiana climate where I'm at, just so yeah. I can work it, and without it without it moving a ton on me. But for the most part, it's pretty much you know <laughs> pretty much plug and play, ready to go. So so no having to no having to buy stockpiles and sit on them for a couple of years and not not at this point you know and I I've got enough. I've got enough friends in, in the industry that if I need some, you know, if I'm in desperate need for something, I can, I can call up, you know, a number of makers and say, Hey, I need a block. I need this block or I need, you know, I need 10 of these. And they're pretty, pretty uh, helpful. That's, you know, pipe community is a pretty great community. And you get to play around with different shapes and different styles. In particular, what caught my eye was your, there's a smooth apple in your portfolio that looks like it's got a little, deep redness to it yeah yeah one of my recent ones uh yeah that one uh it, the unfortunately the pictures didn't really draw out the depth uh that that pipe had it's the grain was beautiful on it and uh it ended up taking um you know the stains i use um it did have a really i, I kept a really deep red on it like a mahogany almost really deep and uh it really, it really came out very nice. It's like you could look through the pipe, you know, it was like 3D grain. <laughs> I always loved that. <laughs> what what part of the pipe making process do you like the most? Oh man, this there, there's a lot of aspects of it. I mean, <laughs> I tell you what, one of the best things is just the people you're around. 
Um, there's a great lot of people, and they're 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 really people with great character as well. But as far as the actual manufacturer shaping is is a lot of fun. Really, you know, you grab a block and you can kind of see what the grain is doing. You can kind of, you know, ah, this this block would fit this shape, or I could do this, or whatever. And then you go to the shaping wheel, or you know, it, I, well, most of the time now I'm I'm uh, I drill after I shape. Um, some, if, you know, if it's a very traditional pipe, there's no, there's no speed benefit or there's no real benefit to, um, you know, like a straight billiard. I can put that in a, in a chuck and drill it on, on the lathe and, and be done and, you know, give my, my guidelines for shaping and then go to the sanding wheel and it's very quick. But, uh, a lot of the exotic shapes are like the apple you mentioned. Um, I'll start with a block that the grain might not be quite centered on, and then as I sand it, I can I can make sure that's you know everything is the bird's eyes right perfectly at the bottom and the in the rim and the grains straight up around the sides and things like that. So that's a lot of fun. And on the opposite, what part of the pipe making process do you absolutely hate? What's the scary moment for you? <laughs> Well, the, probably the worst ones are uh, like like most pipe guys is doing the stems. <laughs> there's just there's so much labor in those, so much hand labor in those that uh, you know. And as, as you get to doing it, I've, I'm, I'm far more advanced than I than I was you know a couple of years ago. Um, so it's not nearly as daunting. But uh, just getting everything because there's so much of a pipe's engineering that's in the stem. It has to be right. It has to fit your teeth right. It has to be the right size. The button has to be right, you know, and the the airway has to taper perfectly, and you know, because if you don't, then that's where the issues come in. So, it's 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 daunting in and of itself, but uh, you know, you as you as you grow with most things, like I did in the in the gearbox world, you know, when I first started out, I knew nothing and was. <laughs> very green and you know made a lot of mistakes but now that i you know like like then i've i've grown in pipes and i get better i i continue to push i i will never that's one one thing i love about having been in racing is you're never done you never get there you're always pushed because no one else does you know all those teams are looking for a tenth a hundredth of a second to, to gain on anyone else. And so you're always pushing to what can we do more? What can I do better? You know, can we, can we lighten this? Can we, you know, can we tweak this? So that's one thing I carry um, from both, both uh, aircraft and racing is it's gotta be, you know, I, I always want to do better. I want to make it, make it better. So let's talk about the, uh, you, you call them gear punks. Or yeah. steampunks. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, two kind of two different lines I have. Yeah. And they are literally just pipes that you are. I kind of describe them as if as if Jules Verne and Thomas Edison tried to make a pipe. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, um, <laughs> yeah the uh, the gear punk design was actually one of the first pipes I drew when I started working with Wayne. I would just start drawing pipes just to get familiar with shapes and just 
you know, I, you know, like I said, I would just sit for, you know, hours drawing. Um, and I had, I'm like, well, you know, it'd be kind of cool if I could get a gear, you know, like an IndyCar gear. So I got a, I got one of the gears I still have and traced around it. And then I kind of drew the rest of the block around it. And uh, that sat for uh, probably two years um, before I was able to actually implement it. Um, I had a, a gentleman on the, on the forum that was, he's a uh, graphic design artist for Hollywood. And he and a friend of his were working on a uh, a movie, and it was a steampunk, kind of a Firefly meets um, Sherlock Holmes, <laughs> kind of a key. You know, it's very strange, but uh, this pipe, I thought as soon as he said that, I, I was I, I wrote him, and I sent him. He said, "Yeah, you have a picture of it," and I, so I sent him the drawing, and I he hadn't even figured out like the stem wasn't even drawn. Like, it, like three different stems were drawn because I'm like, I don't know what to do there yet. But here's the the stumble, and you know, here's the idea. And he wrote back one sentence: I can use that. <laughs> so I ended up making that, and and uh, they're still working on the film. If it gets made, my my pipe will be in it as a talisman. <laughs> and famous forever. Yeah, that one will definitely definitely make the record books, and uh, as far as movies go, on the on the pipes, the, the the steampunk stuff. Are you using parts that you have laying around from from the car days? And I have used some. Um, I have some things that I've selected out specifically, and I'm waiting for the right pipes. But yeah, there's there's a number of things. Um, I'll go to antique shops, or I'll have a, a you know, old friend that has a box of watch parts and things. You know, so. I do use, I, you know, I recycle, I upcycle, you know, what I can. Um, and I'm just trying, I'm always trying to figure out, a, like, how can I, what else can I use and how can I use it in a, in a creative way. So one of these pipes might have a part from a $100,000 transmission. Yeah, actually, yeah. There's uh, probably coming up here pretty soon, hopefully. <laughs> I'm just, like I said, I, it's one of those I kind of... And in making pipes, a lot of makers will tell you that, you know, it's, you kind of follow what the briar does, you know. So I'm, I'm kind of waiting for that pipe that I'm, that I'm convinced, like, oh, this is perfect for that pipe. So, so, so I haven't hit it yet, but soon. Here's Nate, <laughs> who, here's Nate who has blocks of briar where he's waiting for the shape to come along for that block. And then you've got metal parts waiting for a pipe to come along for that part, too. <laughs> yes. And I do a lot of uh, a lot of brass work. Hand, you know, I've got sheet brass and screws, and you know, I do a lot of hand. Actually, I'll, I'll manufacture parts for it uh, myself on the lathe and, and other, you know, drill press and mill and all that. Just a little hobby. Yeah, yeah, just just a little bit. Well, that's one thing, and that's another. You you asked if I needed to uh, in in racing if I had to machine a lot of stuff. Well, one one mindset of a gearbox guy is you you thrash and you get your job done. You do it well, of course, but you you don't dilly dally. You don't stand and talk around. You you work. You get the job done. You get that you get the gearbox out to the mechanics so they can build the car. Well, then you've got all your stuff done. The mechanics are still building the cars. So a lot of times, gearbox guys will end up working in the fab shop in the machine shop. <laughs> uh, part of the of the race team helping you know turn parts or you know so i did i did get 
uh, a lot of experience on some old lathes, old South Bend, you know, war surplus lathes and, and up to really nice new Clousing, you know, 1660 huge, huge lathes. <laughs> so so you've played with some big toys. Yes, some some fabulous big toys. <laughs> what do your pipes? Uh, what do your pipes start out as price wise? Price wise, uh, the the base pipe price will be uh, about three twenty five, and it goes up from there. And the and the the punks are obviously the they're, biggest, most yeah. extravagant pieces. Uh, yeah, they're they're uh, um, you know I've got a fairly traditional if if anybody's looked at at price. Uh, ranges for pipes you know like most makers will have have a kind of a list or a chart of low grade to high grade and all that you know and so i'll have in from from blast to you know like a low grade blast to a high grade blast and then a low grade smooth to a high grade smooth so i've got a fairly traditional um pricing point for those um but then you're right the the gear punks and steampunks just have so much more to them so much you know there's the labor in in those is <laughs> you know quadruple what a normal pipe is at least and some of them so get, those are yeah there's going to be a lot more some of them get quite large and may not fit in a standard pipe bag no yeah there's there's a few that i've actually had either custom made boxes for or um or have found unique things that i could i could uh case the pipe in <laughs> so again another uh, another little labor yeah more labor yeah. time spent well, that's, and that's and that's one one thing that i've uh, i'm trying to be cognizant of now is is a lot of the gear punk stuff has been larger and i'm trying to i'm working towards gear gear punk and steampunk pipes that are that have the essence of what i'm looking for but are you know i know a lot of guys you know tobacco is not exactly as cheap as it was in the seventies, you know, I got a tin of plum cake that was ninety nine cents stamped on the tin. <laughs> I'm like, oh, those were the days. Um, but uh, you know, so guys are looking to kind of save money, you know, make the most of their money. So they're not looking for you know two inch deep chambers. You know, they're not looking for giant pipes. You know, a lot of guys are moving towards the group three, group fours size. So. I'm trying to, you know, I'm working that more into my into my pipe making. Check out his website. It's Nate King Pipes, and hopefully there will be a couple of pipes available on there by the time uh, by the time the show's done tonight. Yeah. And hopefully. do you have any dealers that you deal with, or are you just? I do. Uh, I've got uh, my notables are uh, smoking pipes. You can find uh, I think there's five or six up there right now. Um, and uh, Smoker's Haven, um, uh, Premolchetta, another uh, outstanding pipe maker, also uh, has his shop in uh, Columbus, Ohio. And uh, I think there's a number of pipes on there as well. And then I've got uh, one of the gear punks up on uh, Tobacco Pipe Collectors. So you can find all those there. And we will wrap this up with the Fast Five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your <laughs> mind. Are you ready? Fantastic. What's your favorite pipe? Oh, boy, those are toughies because I have a number of pipes from a number of different makers that I've traded with. So the tra- I, I would say my favorite pipes are traded pipes, the guys guys that I've worked with and traded with. 
What's your favorite tobacco? I, I tend to like like a pretty heavy English. I mean, I, I like a lot of different tobaccos, but I tend to reach for the like a, a Balkan by Brevia, something like that. Probably reminds you of the exhaust out of one of those engines. It's it's interesting. It's it's similar. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite drink? Oh, well, I'm trying to cut back, but Mountain Dew. <laughs> <laughs> Go eighty eight. Um, oh man. Yeah. Uh, when, it, when it's time to relax, which it doesn't sound like you really do, uh, is it a book, a movie, or some music? <sighs> I'm I'm big into another one of my hobbies is vinyl, and uh, I will I will put a record on. I will get a a dram of scotch and uh, a good pipe and sit and listen to music. Might read. Like I said, I might most often uh, I'm I'm listening to music, but uh, yeah, that works pretty well. And finally, any uh, any favorite pipe smoking memory in particular? Well, I tell you what, Chicago, any Chicago show I've been to has always been memorable. Um, not any particular moment, but just the whole the whole experience. If no one's been uh, that in your in your listening uh, audience, um, it is it is a fantastic show and well worth the trip. So there you go, another advocate for getting out to a pipe show. Absolutely. Nate, thank you for your time. Keep up the good work. All right, will do. Thank you, Brian. I much appreciate it. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at smokingpipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog and the wheel stuff, but I do know at smokingpipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from smokingpipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> In fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at smokingpipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. I smoke them. Gotta run. <laughs> just log on to smokingpipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are smokingpipes.com. Welcome back. Hey, maybe that's Aaron getting another Nate King pipe out the door to a uh, happy new smoker. You never know. Anyway, I think Nate is now the third Indiana native guest in a row. Jody Davis, Scrap Huntington, and Nate King all born in the Hoosier State. I think we've sufficiently covered all of Indiana now. All right, in just a few minutes, we've got another listener submission for the uh, fun for the fun commercials, fun blend ideas, mailbag, rant, all that coming up. In the meantime, music tonight is Let Me Smoke My Pipe by Mr. B, the Gentleman Rhymer. He's a uh, British rap guy that uh, apparently likes to smoke his pipe. So sit back, check this out. I think you'll enjoy it. 
Let me smoke my pipe. Have mercy, Mr. Brown. I hope you don't mind. Well, won't you please let me smoke my pipe? You see, I'm lighting it now. What are you going to do about it, sir? You, sir, are an absolute triveler. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, I'm the gentleman rhyme named Mr. B. I like to smoke my pipe with a cup of tea. Lapsang Sushan and devil kidneys. And why would anybody want to stop me? I'm a man of taste, a man of finesse, but I must get something off my chest. I'll abide by the laws of your watering holes, but I won't stand in the rain with a pack of bloody pearls puffing on the marbles or Mayfair lights, or worse, those herbal trade fair types. If I was in the club with a broadsheet waiting for a pinky rub on my board feet, I would wash them from the window in their sportswear shoes. But now I've got to go out and be bored there too. So, Prime Minister, sir, this just won't do. Just listen to my plea to you, please. Let me smoke my pipe. Check one, my pipe smells nice. Check two, my pipe smells nice. Check three, the smoke's all gone, but now the pub smell of wee. My pipe smells nice. Check one, my pipe smells nice. Check two, my pipe smells nice. Check three, won't you come and smoke a pipe with me? Obviously done with that uh, dry British humor. So if you want to see more of Mr. B, the Gentleman Rhymer, search for him on YouTube. He's got a whole bunch of stuff there. He's quite a fun guy. Uh, speaking of fun guys, our own Bob Bittner has another submission for us, Persian Passion. Here it is. This is Plip Peterson reporting. On the phone with me today is brand new artisan tobacco blender Mickey Mycroft whose very first release, Persian Passion, is taking the pipe-smoking world by storm. Welcome to the show, Mickey. Thanks, Pip. I love the show. I'm sitting here smoking a bowl of your Persian Passion, and I'm thoroughly loving it. There's some flavor or aroma I just can't quite put my finger on. Is it the Turkish leaf in the blend? Glad you like it, Pip. But no, there's no Turkish in it whatsoever. Then the Persian refers to... Cat hair! <coughs> Uh, I'm sorry? Yeah, I was working on a new blend one day when my cat Poogles jumped onto the workbench and knocked my jar of tobacco onto the floor. Seems that when I was scooping up all the spilled tobacco, I got one of her old hairballs in the mix as well. Turns out that made all the difference. You're saying there there are cat hairballs in this blend? <laughs> I wish. Nah, cats don't exactly produce those things on demand. So I've had to start shaving them in order to get the hair I need. Are, are you working on any other blends that, say, don't include cat hair? My favorite right now is a really nice mixture I'm calling Bambi Burley. Well, that sounds safe. I mean, you're not out there catching and shaving deer, are you? <laughs> that would be a vain enterprise, my friend. No, I just wait until I find them dead along the road. You... you what? Yeah, I carry these battery-operated shavers couple of minutes and you're good to go. 
Okay. Oh, I, I got another one I think is going to be a big hit. Dare I ask? It's a Virginia Perique that I'm pressing into cakes and aging, calling it Mickey's Melange. Named after yourself? No, it's named after another secret ingredient. Would you care to warn our... <clears throat> would you care to tell our listeners what that is? I'll give you a hint. Fire away. M-I-C-K-E-Y. Oh, God. Whoops, just got one. Gotta run. Nothing like fresh ingredients. Well, this has been a very educational... Buko, you wait your turn. Daddy's got work oh. to do. <clears throat> this is Plip Peterson reporting. Anyone have anything strongly alcoholic around here? Mouthwash? A bar of soap? Anything? I hope I don't get thrown out of the Disneyland Alumni Club for playing that one, but thank you, Bob. You have definitely uh, set a standard to be held to. Now, if you want to get a submission on the show, it can be a fake tobacco review. It can be the dumbest tobacco blend ever. The dumbest thing you've ever done with a pipe. Uh, your own favorite pipe smoking memory or uh, you know reactions of an anti-smoker. If you got a question for me or Kevin and you want to ask it on the air, just record it as an MP3. Email it to radioshow at pipesmagazine.com. That's radioshow at pipesmagazine.com. Please try to keep it under two minutes. We'd appreciate it. Sunday, Monday, you've got mail. Tuesday, Wednesday, you've got mail. Thursday, Friday, you've got mail. Let me get caught up on a few things from the mailbag. I got an email from Lonesome Piper, a member of the forums, and it says, uh, Hello from Brazil. Brian, man, I'm so happy about this radio show. It brings me so many good sensations, not to speak of a good nostalgia. I'm Brazilian. I lived in the U.S. for about seven years and came back to Brazil in 2007. I tried pipe smoking for the first time in 2006 when I was still living in Boston. It was so difficult that I gave up at once. I thought it was only for old guys, etc. I once went to the L.J. Peretti tobacco store in Boston, but the guy that was there didn't give such attention to a kid that didn't speak much English at the time. I was looking for a pipe to start smoking, and they did sell me a $25 estate pipe and some counter tobacco that I don't care to remember. <laughs> uh, years later, here I am, and there is so much on the net about pipes and tobaccos. Wow. Among all these, I found Pipes Magazine and then your podcast, which I'm so glad I did. It's very entertaining and very educational, too. Indeed, I'm following the new episodes and listening to the old ones during the week. I've come to episode 55 so far. Not too much, not too much further to go. Uh, the one in which Joshua Zayner says it's basically a hobby about sitting back and relaxing. How could you go wrong? I'm so glad you guys keep all of it still available for download. I love so much the show if I was to list all the things I like in it, my email would become ten times longer. The introduction joke of that guy in the beginning, the show that is so bad that I love this kind of humor. The consistency of it is superb. The interviews eagerly waited for, the one with GLPs surprised me. I'm getting so much help reading his columns like the one you mentioned in episode 33 from May 2nd, 2013, Lights, Smoke, and Leaves. 
uh, Giacomo Carlesi from Savinelli. It was so good to hear from him right after I've purchased my first Savinelli. Fred Hanna, after the show, I bought his book on Amazon, and what a reading. It helped me improve my smoking experience greatly. Now I can say that I'm tasting and really savoring pipe tobaccos, uh, mainly Presbyterian mixture, which has a lot of Virginias. I even wait to the last five seconds of the show to hear the funny endings. Now that huge Sutliff tobacco ad was really funny. It was very original idea to make of the small fast talk at the end of the ad. Another chance to still talk more about the Molta Dolce tobacco. Uh, Segovia was a great thing. It gave me thrills. And Jimi Hendrix, Star Spangled Banner also. Kevin's final comment at the end of episode 39, the two rants about auto-dialers, no shoes, no pants, no shirt, no problem, it's radio. I even find it funny to see that two people mentioned Hendrix Gin as their preferred drink. I do too. Okay, that's enough. Hope it was not too much reading to make. Uh, Best regards from Brazil. Uh, That's the cool thing about doing this radio show is we're reaching out to people all around the world and spreading uh, pipe joy and cheer. And apparently from last week's show, a scrap, there's a a few punk rockers in the crowd. Got uh, four or five people that enjoyed the show. And uh, Spartan even mentioned uh, music was great for this episode. I didn't skip through it this time. Ha ha, sorry, but our musical taste doesn't really align all that often. The music must suit my mood at the time. That is the perfect comment for music. Spartan also said, For a moment there I thought Scrap was going to make Brian really uncomfortable when he alluded to manly piercings. (laughs) Ha ha. I was on the edge of my seat waiting for it to happen. Yeah, I had to jump through that section myself. That was, um, yeah, I just couldn't even think of it at that point. So, yeah, I was on the edge of my seat too. Uh, Fuel Pump also said, Glad that you have so many different personalities on the show. It keeps the show interesting. Scrap had a lot of good questions for new pipe smokers. I had some of the same problems when I first started. The pipe is hopefully going to save the world from anti-smokers through proper education. Uh, John Seiler wants to know where he can get a can of Vampire Virginia. And Caucus, who I believe lives in Cyprus says that, uh, great show, Brian, I immediately subscribed to Scrap Silent Majority Pirate Podcast. Cool. All right, rant time, next. The year was 1849. Zachary Taylor was sworn in as the 12th president of the United States. The U.S. flag remained fixed at 30 stars. Edgar Allan Poe was found dead in Baltimore. Congressman Abraham Lincoln patented a buoying device, the only patent ever filed by a future president. William Bond was the first person to photograph the moon through a telescope. And gold was discovered in far-off California. And in that same year, also in California, Henry Sutliff founded his small tobacco company in San Francisco, founded on the principles of giving the public superior tobacco products for those with very discriminating tastes. Now, 165 years later, that tradition continues. Sutliff Tobacco Company has been setting the standard for pipe tobacco ever since. 
Take a quiz on our website to have the perfect blend suggestion for your tastes. Or just browse around to explore all of the wide variety of fine products America's oldest pipe tobacco company has to offer. Lots of things have changed since 1849, but Sutliff Tobacco Company's commitment to making the finest pipe tobacco on earth has not. Visit sutliff-tobacco.com for information on where you can find all of your favorite blends, from the sweetest aromatics to the richest English mixtures. Cowboy. Cowboy. Can I pick on Google Maps for just a minute? Just give me a minute to pick on Google Maps and have a little bit of fun at Google's expense. So here at Brigham USA, one of the things that we do when we get a new account, and I don't know who the account is, I'm not sure, I'm not familiar with them, one of the things we do is we look their address up on Google Maps and get a street view of the address. And Google Maps and their Street View programming, they automatically fuzz out or blur out faces of people. Sometimes they blur out uh, license plate numbers. All the time they blur out license plate numbers on cars. And sometimes they'll blur out some signs that catch some of their profane things that they don't want people to see. Well, I'm cruising along through Google Maps, and I pull up this one retailer that's uh, brand new in uh, the Chicago area, and I can't remember his name. It's a cigar shop, but I've never heard of him. I pull him up on Google Maps, and they've got a cigar store, Indian, out in front, and what did Google automatically do in Google Maps? They blurred out the face of the cigar store, Indian. It automatically picked up the Indian as being a human life form, and Google's automatic software blurred his face. Now, I've had Kevin put up a picture of this on the episode link, so if you want to see it, you can see where Google Maps thought that that Indian standing out in front of that cigar store in suburban Chicago was a real human being, and Google blurred it out. So there you go, poking a little bit of fun at Google and Google Maps and uh, automated software and... uh, I guess that that Indian just doesn't want to be recognized. So, hey, listen, a lot of stuff coming up on uh, this weekend. I hope everybody has fun at the St. Louis Pipe Show in St. Charles, Missouri. I'm sorry I will miss it. I won't be there, but uh, have fun without me anyway. Uh, Won't be quite as much fun since I won't be there. Next week, International Pipe Smoking Day. I've got a great show planned with... Two big names in the industry, all on one show to celebrate for International Pipe Smoking Day. That's next Thursday. We're going to be at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Standard Time. So for those of you in Europe, you'll have to catch it uh, really late at night. Uh, Keep on watching the Olympics, having fun watching those. Please make sure and leave us feedbacks, ratings, or reviews on iTunes. We do appreciate that. Follow the Pipes Magazine radio show on Facebook. And don't forget, we also have the JDRF, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, fundraiser coming up next month in March. If you've got something that you'd like to uh, help donate to that, please contact me, Brian, at PipesMagazine.com. We do appreciate all that. That'll be in March, so got to start planning ahead for that. 
All right, everybody. Thank you to Nate King for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the fine folks at Sutliff Tobacco Company. And until next time, the clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather happy Celebrity voices are impersonated. No, you dummy. That really was Gregory Pease.